Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome and thanks for tuning in to the Two Fit Podcast, hosted by the Two Fit guys, Jake and Josh. Now, Two Fit, by definition, is actively pursuing a state of health and well being beyond perceived limitations. So, if you're looking to push the boundaries of performance mentally, physically, and everywhere in between, then you have come to the right place. On the Two Fit Podcast, we will be interviewing and having fireside chats with renowned experts from doctors and strength and conditioning coaches to athletes and entrepreneurs. Our goal is to extract tools and tricks of the trade that you can implement, whether you're a world-class athlete, weekend warrior, entrepreneur, or grinding out the eight to five, all in order to assist you on your journey to becoming Two Fit. All right, guys, welcome back to the Two Fit Podcast. We're sitting down today with a man named Wes Kennedy, who is a former special operator in the Canadian Special Forces, and now he runs the Elite Training Program, which is what he founded as the head coach there, where he takes boys and turns them into men. Basically gets them ready for pre-selection into any special forces operation, whether that be U.S., Canada, or abroad. And Wes, we're... Just excited for this interview, and thanks for thanks for sitting down with with us today. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be on the show. <laughs> cool. So, just for people out there who uh, who might not know you, have read your stuff, kind of give us just a little bit of your CV and your background, and kind of what got you to where you are today. Yeah, totally. So, I didn't want to go to university after high school and, and join the the Canadian Armed Forces. I was lucky enough to pick combat engineers, my initial trade upon entry. Um, did three years as a combat engineer, did a, a tour overseas in Afghanistan. And then when I got back, Canada was standing up, had recently been standing up uh, a new unit, the Canadian Special Operations Regiment. So I did their selection phase, got picked up for course, was successful there, and, and went on to do another five years in that unit. And then I decided it was time for something new and took my passion for fitness that I developed in the military uh, with my background in the special operations community and created elite training programs. And our primary focus there, while we work with uh, a variety of athletes, our primary focus is helping special operations candidates arrive as prepared as possible on selection. So I could be Navy SEAL, SFAS, Commandos, JTF2, CSOR, as well as other various elite military units such as clearance divers, pararescue jumpers, air combat controllers, and the like. So what's the Wes, what's the average age of, of the candidates you see? Oh, you know, it's that's a uh, it's a quite a wide range, I guess, in terms of just the candidates for those units, anywhere between 19 and 32. So this could even be guys that, that are in different units that want to qualify for an SF unit and they're looking yeah, for extra some, training. Some guys, yeah, qualify for a special ops unit. So some guys are, uh, they contact me before they even get in the military and they, and they want to start training early. Some guys have been in the military for five, six, seven years and they're just done with the trade that they're in and they want something new and and then we start working together at that point in preparing them for for selection 
So what are kind of the mechanics of that? I mean, what does that look like, that process? So if somebody wants to, to enter your program, you know, what's step one? Well, step one, I usually always direct people towards our, our three-part video series um, on building the ultimate special operations athlete. They can find that at elitetrainingprograms.com slash videos and or our webinar on the most common training mistakes I see guys making, and that can be found at elitetrainingprograms.com slash mistakes. And I get people to watch that first because it'll, it'll just give them a much better idea as to what we do, my beliefs behind training and my beliefs behind prepping for selection. And then at that point, they have an option to apply for a strategy session. And during that strategy session, we sit down together. We have an hour together. We, we go over, you know, what's working for them, what's not working for them. Um, we try and give some, them some recommendations around their training, give them some recommendations as to what they're, they're taking in for nutrition. And, and then at that point, it's, it's really up to them. If, if we both feel it's a good fit, then, you know, then we'll take a look at working together over time. Um, for the one-on-one stuff that I do with Spec Ops candidates, we, we always start with um, a couple weeks of baseline testing. So in the fitness world, it's, I mean, it's becoming more and more common now, but in the past, there, a lot of times people just get plugged into these generic programs. They get plugged into group classes. They just get plugged into a system without any initial assessment. And if there's no initial assessment to determine where they're starting, whatever you give them after that's going to be subpar. So we always start people off, get really clear as to what their strengths, their weaknesses are uh, in terms of various lifts, their aerobic ability, their anaerobic capacity, their, you know, their power, their strength, et cetera. And that really allows us to start them off exactly where they need to start. It allows them to meet, it allows us to meet the client where they're at. And, and then it's just an ongoing process. You know, it's individualized programming, nutrition, it's staying in contact with their coach. It's that mentorship piece in, in getting them, getting their minds ready for, for what they're about to embark on. And, uh, and then the process is, it's a little bit different for everybody, but really based on exactly what that person needs. So I know we'd love to dive into the, the mental and the physical aspects of kind of the training for the, this elite training and uh, reading some of your stuff on T Nation, which we'll link to all that in the show notes as well as your website and sources. Um, when starting from scratch, when you have a guy come, where, whether he's 18 or 32, what's the number one training flaw that you hear from them? You, so you ask them, what have you been doing to prepare? What does what your training currently look like? And from your point of view and your methodologies, what is the number one thing you hear that you go, man, that's, we got to change that? Hmm. Number one, well, in the in the webinar I mentioned, there's 12 of the most common training mistakes I see. If I had to pick one, let me think. It could be a few. I mean, um, we can definitely list them out kind of in a rank almost. So I'd say there, if I had to pick, let's say if I had to pick three, one of them would be focusing too much energy on training for the PT test. So too much focus on training to get to selection and not enough focus on getting through selection. And 
for the listeners that are unfamiliar with the process, in order just to get to selection, there's some interviewing processes, there's some recommendations from your unit chain of command, uh, and there's a, P, a physical, uh, there's a PT test as well. And the PT test generally tests for uh, aerobic power, either running or swimming or and or a rucking component and strength endurance across push-ups, pull-ups, and sit-ups. So while they're important and from a logistical standpoint, it works for the military, it's only a small component of the physical demands that they're going to experience on selection. So that, that would be number one. Number two would be failure to include any sort of mini selection in their training program. I think it's really important to include a two or three day stint where the athlete is training, training slash testing four to five times a day and getting used to that real high volume of work and intensity with little sleep that they may be experiencing on selection. Of course, that comes after the training and the preparation, so they don't injure themselves doing that. But I think it's really important at some point to put themselves through that. If they can put themselves through that, it'll be a lot easier when they have something, somebody watching over them and telling them to do it. And and number three, in I don't know if these are in, in any order, top three out of the 12, but one that's really interesting is underestimating the importance of grip strength endurance training. You can take an exceptionally fit guy. If he has poor grip strength, come selection, he's he's gonna screw up. He's gonna screw up on what's expected of him. Um, as a tactical athlete, there's almost always something in your hands. There's either um, a rifle in their hands. There's they're either dragging something. They're either picking up a you know picking up ammo. Uh, there, there's always something in their hands. They're always doing something. You know if if you're not there's not something in their hands. They're probably doing something wrong. And so in training, there needs to be an appropriate training stimulus to prepare them for that. To prepare them to grab an ammo crate and walk for three kilometers straight and not have their forearms feel like they're going to fall off. Um, I think that's a huge one that guys don't think about in their training and, and can really make a difference come selection time. So how, on that specific topic, I mean, how do you build up to that? I mean, is that just a bunch of farmer's carries, um, just holding the bar? Um, I mean, how do you, or do you just grab it and try to walk 3K? Yeah, you know, so for, we like like everything, we always start off with a bit of testing. So we have different tests. We have a 200-meter a uh dumbbell farmers walk for max possible weight we have a you know one arm hang from the rings for time we have hang from a pull-up bar for time and then based on the the scores they get with that or another one would be um, a max double overhand non-hook grip deadlift based on the scores we get from that then we just start training that weakness if needed and and that comes in a whole bunch of different formats based on the individual and where they are in the training plan. Uh, but it's important that they start with the testing first, get really clear on what their numbers are, and then and then implement that into the training plan over time in a progressive nature. So Wes, what would be some ways that like our listeners can can what can they take away 
maybe a couple of things in, in their training, like in the gym and outside the gym to increase their grip strength. That's the, I think that's so important just for everyday life, you know, for just anybody, even if they're working at the office, just training your grip strength. Um, what, are, what are some of the easy ways, or maybe not easy, but that they can go about uh, increasing that strength? Yeah, good question. It's I, it's I'm always apprehensive to answer these uh, with a you know one and done kind of solution because it it, it always goes back to the individual. Sure. Uh, a couple of things I'd, I'd preface the answer with is one: it's super easy to overtrain grip strength. Uh, you got to be really mindful as to where you put it into the training week. Um, all the little muscles in the hand, it, they they get burnt out. Um, it's, you know, hard on the nervous system if you're doing heavy weights, um, and you got to think about what, what sort of lifts and what sort of training you're doing around, um, that exercise. Um, so on that note, as, is that, as an, I'm sorry, yeah. is that something you would train separately or you would train bef- after your training? So let's say you're doing heavy deadlifts that day, you might train grip strength after, or, yeah, you know, and, okay. and maybe and maybe the heavy deadlifts is a, a, a portion of that grip strength. Um, maybe we just do more, you know, maybe when we're doing single leg work, we're doing more dumbbell work as opposed to front, you know, having a barbell in the in the front rack or, or the back um, so that there's more stimulus um, on the grip strength. Um, if we're if we're talking maybe some specific grip strength exercises, say we do the 200 meter max dumbbell farmer's carry and the individual gets 50 pounds per hand. You know, I'd like to see it a heck of a lot closer to about 90 pounds per hand, ideally. So say they get 50 pounds per hand, maybe in the training, one of the exercises is a hundred feet dumbbell farmer's carry rest 60 seconds times five to six rounds. And then the next week we'd increase it to 110 feet and then the next week 120 feet or we'd increase the load um but something progressive so that the intensity or the or the work volume is increasing week over week now do you see all these these testing procedures you're doing did people send these videos into you because everything you're doing is is online right do you ever meet people in person what's that look like yeah, everything's online. So you know, once in a while, we'll meet with people in person. If they if they come into uh, into Victoria, I'll, I'll come and uh, you know we'll set up a time and, and we'll do some one on one stuff. We can always get some good data from that that we can't get online. Um, but everything can you know pretty much everything can be done online to, to prepare guys for selection. Um, so they'll send videos in when it's either a test and we want to see what their what their best score is or if it's a new movement and I just want to make sure that their their form is dialed in and and they'll take a video upload it to their Google Drive folder that we share and and then I'll give I'll give them feedback on that uh, every week or so that kind of brings me back to your your selection process because you're basically performing a you're responsible for a pre-selection before these guys even go to to their selection for whatever special operations that may be. And I think that's such a great model, just figuring out if it's a good fit for the both of you. We actually did a podcast with these, this, they run a business out of Michigan and they, they make custom hybrid pools. And basically they turn down 90% of their business that comes to them because they only want to work with people that they can fall in love with more each time. They want to work with people who, um, you know, not are just going to let them, operate the way that they want to operate and so 
I just want to figure out, I mean, what, what do you look for in these candidates? And do you ever, you sit down with somebody and just have to tell them like, Hey man, I don't think this is right for you. Yeah. You know, and, and I, and I don't think special operations is right for everybody. Um, you know, a couple things come to mind. One, we've had clients where I love working with them. We, we work together, we've worked together for, you know, two years and, and about halfway through that, they realized that, you know, selection was, was just a means to an end for them. They, they didn't actually want to do that. Um, and now they're, you know, they're, they're working towards becoming a CEO of a, um, a large company, um, where they can actually affect, um, some meaningful change in the, in the world. Um, and, and, you know, that, that's one person's case. And, and, and we've had a lot of discussions for that one individual and, and we know that that's the best fit for him. So some guys will hear that and will say, Oh, great. He talked himself out of selection. Well, I mean, under your premise that everybody should be doing selection that says they want to do selection. Sure. I guess he talked himself out of it. It just wasn't the thing that he wanted in the first place. Um, so I think that's a very beneficial conversation to have and saves people a whole bunch of wasted time and heartache. And now they can go put their energy where, um, you know, where their strengths are and where it's really meant to be. Yeah. So just, I mean, you've been around operators, you know, for, for over a decade now. And you've lived that life. So, I mean, what are some of the things that you look for in a candidate? Right. Yeah. You know, and and I kind of got off track there. So the other piece to that answer, there's a, you know, there's a few things. I'm, I'm kind of just trying to get a feel for the person on the right. call. There's not a, you know, there's not a specific checklist that I go through. I'm looking for somebody that's humble, uh, that's willing to learn, um, that shows that they can follow basic instructions. I mean, look, it's not rocket science what we do. If you follow the steps I give you, you're going to get a heck of a lot fitter over the next year. Far fitter than you would jumping around from blog post to blog post and piecemealing stuff together in your in your spare time over on top of all your life responsibilities and work responsibilities. Um, you're going to get fitter, but you need to do what I tell you to do to get there. And you need to do the work. Um, so one of the things I look for is just can the person fill out an assessment questionnaire and track their food for three days prior to our initial strategy session? Um, that's a huge indication to me as to whether they'll, they're going to be a good fit for what we do um, and if they're going to actually get any results out of it. Because I don't really enjoy working with people that um, don't do what I tell them to do and don't get any results. It right. sucks. I, I hate watching it. It's painful. Um, I enjoy working with the guys that they take it on. They just hit their training day in and day out. They take on their nutrition. It doesn't have to be perfect right off the bat. We're all on our own journey and learning process, but they continually strive and move the, you know, move the needle forward. And I imagine it's almost easier to tell people like that who just don't want to put in the effort. Like, Hey man, this isn't right for you. But I'm yeah. sure you also have those cases where people are putting in a hundred percent effort you know, 110 sometimes and their physical fitness just isn't there. Yep. Yeah, and you know, but then, then it's just a, you know, then it's a, um, it's just a time game, you know, right. Their physical fitness might not be there and that's fine. Everybody starts where they're at. You know, a lot of guys will send me in their, their food log for three days with a whole bunch of, well, it was like this because of that. And, you know, kind of making excuses. And, and I tell them, look, this isn't here to impress me. I don't have any judgment around where you're at. I ate like crap for years and years and years 
when I was growing up, I still eat like crap sometimes. And, uh, and there's no judgment around it. It's just a starting point so that we can start moving the needle forward. Right. So how long is that? How long do you typically kind of set out for a candidate to prepare uh, for his course? Good question. I get this asked a lot, um, usually from the candidate. How, you know, how long until um, I'm going to be ready? And, and I always answer it with two things. One, it depends on where you're at after we finish your first two weeks of baseline testing. And I always have a much, much better idea at that point. And number two, how consistent are you going to be with your nutrition and sleep and training? One of the most common training mistakes I lay out in that webinar is failure to train for more than a year. So most people, you know, there's a lot of guys that come to me and they say, hey, okay, selection's in three months. And there's a handful of people that I've worked with who have selection in four months. But I preface that with some questions around their fitness. What's their one or max deadlift? What's their best five kilometer or three mile run? I get a, you know, kind of a quick snapshot of, of how fit they are. And if the guy tells me, look, I deadlift 450 pounds, I can run three miles in, in 20 minutes. Okay, then we kind of go and explore some other metrics and, and see if it's actually realistic. And, and there's a couple of guys that do come to me where it is realistic. They just need to get sport specific at this point um, uh, for the next four months and it works out for them. Most guys, that's not the case. Most guys that tell me, hey, I want to do this in four months, I, I tell them, look, it's not realistic. You deadlift 250 pounds. Your three-mile run is 30 minutes. You don't have any experience with um, alpining or walking around with a rucksack. Your swimming is self-admittedly poor. You can't possibly hope with the very best programming in the world, with a team of the leading strength and conditioning coaches hope to be ready in four months the the body can just cannot adapt that quickly and and then we just have that honest conversation and we set some realistic timelines and if they're on board with it then we can move forward and if not we're probably not the best fit for them because we can't we're not going to lie to them so we've kind of been flirting around this topic this whole time but let's just go ahead and dive in what what is your philosophy on, on training in general and, and tactical fitness and kind of what is lacking in the tactical fitness space right now? I think what's, <clears throat> that's a great question. I think what's really prevalent in the tactical fitness space is guys that have been where these guys want to go. So they've done selection, they've been an operator, yet they don't really, they've never really got into the weeds on how to do program design, how to do nutrition, right? right? They're either, they either lucked out and got really fit over time or they're just genetic freaks, which a lot of, you know, selection weeds out non-genetic freaks pretty easily. Uh, if you're a genetic freak, you, you know, you can kind of easily get through selection and, and then they turn around and, and they, and they sell fitness training but it's it's not really based toward, around the individual. It's it's a suck it up buttercup, um, pick up the sandbag, you know, go hit the go hit the punching bag, you know, do high intensity interval training, um, more 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 more. And there's not any real progression to it. There's not any real 
There's no initial testing. There's no assessment. There's no ongoing assessment. There, just it, gr- it just doesn't work, work for the sake it of works, grueling work. It works great for guys that that are genetic freaks, and will you can just throw anything at them, and they're going to adapt. Uh, it doesn't work for the other 95 percent of the population. <clears throat> so how how are you in elite training programs combating that? Start off with an assessment. Yeah. That's like, I think with most trainers, uh, the best thing they can do to upgrade the prescriptions that they're giving to their clients is to start with an assessment, continue to assess over time, get really clear on what the focus for each training cycle is, and, and then continue to gather data. We're always gathering data and coming up with new tests so that we can further break down where the weak areas are with that athlete, right? Great. We do a 5k run and a 10k run. How can we further simulate what people are going to find on selection? How can we further simulate that mental toughness aspect? You know, maybe now we do, um, you know, one of the other tests we came up with was three five kilometer runs. Each one as fast as possible with um, you know, 10 minutes rest in between. Yeah. So, you know, you go as hard as possible. Um, ideally, you don't know that there's two and three coming up. So sometimes we'll set it up with, you know, one of their friends and, and let them know, hey, this person's going to tell you what your workout is. And uh, and then they run 5K as hard as they can. They get 10 minutes rest and they get told, okay, you're doing it again. And then they get 10 more minutes rest and they get told they're doing it again. So it's constantly coming up with different tests they are going to best simulate what they're going to actually experience on selection or best simulate what we need to test for. And that doesn't mean, Hey, on all these selections, there's a five, you know, like it doesn't mean this is actually on selection, but if you just start to think like what kind of things are going to show up in combat, you get into a firefight and you have to go balls out for an hour and then it stops. Well, you don't know if something's going to happen again. So you got to go balls out for another hour mm-hmm. and then it stops and you go balls out for another hour. So it's just kind of thinking logically about what are the characteristics of selection? What are the characteristics of course? What are the characteristics of actual combat? And then try to come up with testers that simulate that um, so we can better set up their training to prepare them for that. And Wes, so when we, when you say selection, just for the people out there, you're talking about the specific course uh, for which they're going, like, you know. So that could be buds, that could be ranger school. Um, is that when you say selection, is that what you're referring to? Yeah, well, it's it's different for um, it's different for all, all the special operations units out there here in Canada. Um, for CSO or JTF two, they do you know approximately like a one week selection phase. So they they go somewhere for a week really high volume of work, um, constantly under assessment, little sleep, little food. And, and then if they make it through that, if they don't quit for one and they perform adequately or they perform exceptionally, then they'll be picked up to go on to a six, nine, 12 month, 18 month course. And at the end of that, they're badged as a, as a Navy SEAL or as a special forces operator, et cetera. And then they get posted to a unit where they do that job. So no, Jake and I, we've, we've talked about, we'd love to go out to like Kokoro camp, which I'm sure you're familiar with. Um, do you ever recommend p- potential candidates do things like that? No weekend getaways or, or a week getaway, um, at, at a facility like that to simulate training. 
Yeah, definitely. I think it can be useful if they're if they're ready for it, if they've done the training to lead up to it. Um, I haven't experienced Kokoro Camp myself. I, I do know some of the uh, the trainers that that work on it. Um, yeah, but I think it's useful. You know, same reason why we put in a mini selection um, for the guys. But I think that even amps it up even more. I mean, a Kokoro Camp. Um, if it's what the, the the piece I'm thinking of, you know, it's a couple days where it's a it's a mock selection. Right. Um, yeah, so for, yeah. I think that's super useful for sure. For everybody out the Kokoro camp is like Mark Devine's seal fit program. Um, yep. You go out for like three days and it's basically a simulation of buds where you little sleep. You're in, you know, you, you'll meet everybody from different walks of life to even high school students that are out yep. there to prepare and uh, to CEOs like you, you mentioned earlier. And, and that's just basically a uh, kind of a simulation of hell week, which happens at buds, uh, little sleep, lots of exercise and uh, they beat you up pretty hard, and then you come back uh, stronger. So that's yeah. the idea. Yep, definitely. So, Wes, what I'm picking up from you is that if, if people are looking to be a special forces operator, we really want to build up our aerobic base first as well as our strength endurance. But I've also noticed, I mean, I know you have a couple of the OPEX uh, certifications and, and, and CrossFits certifications, the strongman and uh, and the level one. So my question is, I mean, where does where does CrossFit and kind of the high intensity training come into play? Because I know we, me and Josh both go to a CrossFit gym here, and we got a handful of guys. We live in a college town, and so we got a handful of kids here that are, are looking to go into special forces, and they're really hitting the CrossFit, so, you know, seen pretty strong. And so, kind of, what would you be your advice to them? And yeah, how does how does the CrossFit scene kind of fit into all this? Yeah, great question. I love talking about this. So, and and I train a couple, a few guys and girls um, prepping for CrossFit as well. Uh, I think CrossFit's a great sport. I don't agree with it as a training program for the masses. I, I don't even know what CrossFit even means as a training program. Do whatever for however long you want, mixed up, and who knows what you're going to get. That's just anything. That's not a, a training, you know, methodology. It's just called anything. Um, <laughs> but I think it's a great sport. I I love um, I, I love competing in it. You know, a few years ago, um, I love training athletes to compete in it. It poses a whole bunch of really unique challenges um, for the coach to prepare them for the unknown. There's a, you know, there's a couple big differences between, between CrossFit and, and military selection. Um, you know, in CrossFit, actually, I might want to cut this out. Give me one second. Yeah, that's fine. We can always edit anything on the back end, so. Yeah. So, so in CrossFit, activities largely anaerobic in nature Uh, majority of events are under 20 minutes it involves high repetition vertical pressing pulling high repetition bending and squatting movements as a major focus Um, the competition is either between one event to several events over a period of three days the equipment you're using is mostly stuff you'd find in a gym and there's a high focus on barbell work in a military selection scenario, activity is largely aerobic, not anaerobic. Most events are significantly longer than 20 minutes. 
it focuses on high repetition push-ups, sit-ups, and pull-ups. You're training for an event, the selection phase lasting one to three weeks, not just a couple of days. Um, most of the equipment will be military in nature, including your rucksack and other odd objects. And there's a high focus on swimming, running, and rucking, not barbells. And so there's a whole bunch of stuff we can get into on this, right? You know, I'm not saying you're not going to train with a barbell. All of my tactical athletes train with barbells. Um, I'm not saying you're not going to do any anaerobic work. Um, but largely for tactical athletes, I just want them to have a really, really big aerobic base. Um, the, the demands of the job don't, um, in combat, don't actually necessitate any need for um, a well-developed anaerobic glycolytic system. Um, in fact, uh, the, you know, the bigger their aerobic base is, the less likely they're going to need to tap into that anaerobic glycolytic system, which is very finite in nature, right? If you're in, in a combat environment and, and you do tap into that either because you're not in very good shape or, um, you know, you don't have a big enough aerobic base and things get intense, once you do tap into that, it takes a lot longer to recover from it. And I don't really want that to happen to guys in a, in a combat environment. So there's just a lot of things that are different about they're, they're two completely different. Let's call them, just call them both sports. They're two different sports. Uh, one's CrossFit, one's training for selection or combat, and they're two completely different sports and they need two completely different programs to prepare for them. So is it a misconception that, you know, special forces operators are actually doing CrossFit or is that just kind of what you're saying is lacking in the tactical fitness community right now is that people are really focusing on that. Can you, can you repeat the question? Sure. I, I have a, a cousin who is, who is in the army and when he, whenever he was deployed, he would say these, the Navy SEALs would show up with their, with their boom box on their shoulder and their wife beaters and shirts off and everything. And then <laughs> they would, yeah, go to the, the camp gym and basically just take over. And they were doing just all sorts of CrossFit stuff. And so, and I've also heard it from other people and even these, the kids at the gym are saying, you know, they're getting into CrossFit because they're looking to go into SF and that they hear that this is the best way to get in shape for it. So my question is, is that a, a misconception that operators are actually doing CrossFit or is that basically what you're saying is a, a fallacy of the training that's going on right now in the tactical fitness community. Yeah, I, I personally believe it's a fallacy. I don't think that it's the best way to prepare. I mean, don't get me wrong. I did, you know, once I finished selection and finished course, I trained for CrossFit once I was in. Um, it's it's going to get you in shape. You know, you're going to get fitter. I mean, if you're a beginner, you can really throw anything at a beginner and they're going to adapt and, and, and improve their fitness. Um, but if we're looking at what's the best program to do, I don't think that that's it. It's just, it's training for different things. Keep in mind too, I'll have guys that come to me and they're not going to do selection for four years. Right. And we work together for four years and I also don't really want them to just train for selection for four years. It's kind of crappy style of training. Like guys don't want to carry a rock once a week you know, for four years and they don't really need to. Right. And so for a lot of guys, I'll actually say, Hey, maybe why don't we just train you for CrossFit for two, three years and, and prep for the opens each year. And, you know, maybe you get to regionals on the third year. And, and then the last year we'll switch gears and we'll train you specifically for selection phase. And so what happens then they're really good at moving. They, 
They have um, they have great pacing. They know their engine um, across you know their aerobic system. They can train their anaerobic glycolytic system well. Their anaerobic elactic system. Their um, you know yeah so good movers. They know their engine. Um, they're strong. They have a big aerobic base. And then we just change things about a year out. We start doing more a lot more single leg work. We start doing a lot more. Uh, push-ups, pull-ups, sit-ups. We start doing more rucking. We start doing more endurance training um, and, and accumulating that over that last year. So, I, I mean, it has its place, and it's a great sport. It's fun. Um, but people just need to kind of step back and look at it logically uh, from what the demands of each sport are and then decide from there rather than look at the marketing hype on anything and say, oh, well, that must be it because look at these pictures of the results they're getting. So we'll just go with that. That looks cool. And it is. It's a cool sport. It's hard not to get hooked on CrossFit. It's fun. It's a lot of fun. Wes, we kind of have a funny story. So what what you're saying about building up this aerobic capacity, um, it's it's kind of funny because we have a, a young guy at the gym who's, he's in a ranger training unit through ROTC at A&M. And he just started CrossFit a few months ago. And, and as you know, the CrossFit Open is going on, which is where it's a five-week deal mm-hmm. where people, you know, do a different workout every week. Um, yep. and, and then the top 20 in each region go to regionals. And then uh, the top three or five or whatever go to the games. Well, um, he actually had to be convinced to do the CrossFit Open because he didn't think he was going to be good enough to even put his name in the Open, which, you know, in each region there's like 10,000, 12,000 people. Um, and he's an absolute beast. He's been training for ranger school for years. I mean, through high school, the guy's just on a different level. So he does the CrossFit Open, and currently he's 60th in the region uh, his first year doing it. And everybody's nice. around the gym going, are you kidding me? Because all the trainers, all the coaches, you know, they're busting their balls every, every week, all year, every year. And he comes in out of nowhere He's a sophomore at A&M right now and just dominating. And um, it's like you look at him, though, it's, it's not a surprise. Jake and I have talked about it. It's like, well, look at the guy's background of what he's built, um, you know, in his training. You know, he came in last week and he was like, man, I'm kind of tired. I had to go to San Antonio and I rucked 45 miles. <laughs> and he came in and finished first place on the workout. <laughs> and, uh, yep. That's just, it's what, you know, what you're preaching. I mean, we're seeing it firsthand right now. So, yeah, it's 100%. De- definitely hits home. Yeah, the, uh, me and Josh are currently training for uh, our first Ironman, which is coming up in a little less than a month. And I noticed on, on your website there, it says you came in third in one of your the Ironmans. Is that correct? Yeah, so this was this isn't a traditional Ironman, as, as you may know it. It's called the Petawawa Ironman that, that takes place in Petawawa, Ontario. Yeah, so you had a ruck on, there. is that right? Pardon me? You, you had a ruck on during this? Yeah, so it's essentially uh, the, the race starts, I think, 3.30 or 4 in the morning. And and it starts, you have you know military boots, combat pants, T-shirt, and a 40-pound rucksack. Um, so it's 32 kilometers uh, with a rucksack. And then you pick up a canoe and portage that for four kilometers, put the canoe in the water, canoe for eight, and then get out with your ruck um, and and run for the final six kilometers. So it's, it's 50 kilometers altogether. Wow. Wow. It's impressive. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. I, uh, cool. I actually didn't, I didn't think I would ever do it. And, uh, and I was training uh, with my coach 
and he had me, you know, and I kind of thought about it and then I said no. But in that week, he had me do an 80-minute easy zone one run with a 20-pound weight vest. And I threw it on and I thought, you know what? This is actually, I can do this a little smoother than I thought. And right. so I said, let's let's go for it. And, and we did a, a four-month buildup to that where we just progressively increased the volume. And um, I remember about a month out from the race, he had me do a 32-kilometer run with a ruck. And, uh, you know, and it was like I did it in, I think, three hours and, and 20 minutes or something. Jeez. And I was like, holy crap. Like, I never, ever thought I would be able to, to run that far. And, it, you know, it, it just goes to show what a progressive training plan can do where you go from, no, that's not happening, and getting <laughs> shin splints and cramping up and, and hurting and then just being able to run the 32K, taking off the ruck and feeling great. Um, Wes, it brings up a, a question that I have. Uh, so in Jake and I's training, we kind of adhere to the philosophy of more sprint work, fewer long, long, grueling runs, right? Just or the, bikes. Or the minimal swims. effective dose. Yeah. Basically. And where, where do you fall on that scale? Like, do you, so a guy, even if he's training for a half marathon, right? 13 mile run or so um, in his, you know, town. I mean, we what we do is we will do a long swim, a long bike, a long run once a week. The other part of that training, we still you know lift and stuff, but the other part of that training is sprint work. You know, so we may go do 100 meter repeats at the track, um, one mile repeats with a five minute rest. Um, same thing in the pool, 25 meter sprints. Where you know, and then you hear some people their training is all build up. So the first week they may run three miles a couple times the next week they'll push it to four and a half or, or so on where where do you fall kind of on that scale of of tackling an endurance event yeah i mean it, it depends where you are in the training cycle and uh and uh and where your weak points are but yeah i mean i think i would you know when i trained for that we had i did a a, a long easy ruck walk once a week you know i built up from an hour to doing about a five or six hour walk um near the end um, I had another workout where I would do a swim bike run and that built up to, I think I did a 20 minute swim at two kilom- or a two hour bike and then a two hour run, which ended up being a half marathon at the end. Um, you know, that was kind of the, the end of, of that near the, near the race. Um, but then there was also like aerobic power work where I would do say, um, 90 seconds run at, um, at a, at a percentage of effort, walk 90 seconds times 15, making sure that all of those run times were equal, right? And that that's a really good way to to know that you're still training your in your aerobic zone. Whereas if you're doing, you know, a one mile run with, geez, I'd have more than five minutes rest. That just that sounds rough. Um, yeah, I guess that would be the same. You know, one mile run with five minutes rest. That's kind of a real um, high end aerobic power work, whereas a uh-huh. hundred meter sprint, you're training your anaerobic alactic system. So it's kind of just going back and figuring out, okay, what energy system am I actually training? And as you get closer, the hundred meter sprints aren't really going to help you very much with an endurance race. That's maybe stuff you're going to do really early on, um, in your training evolution, but you know, getting one, two months close, I don't re- I wouldn't really put any effort in that, in that space. Sure. <clears throat> Let's dive into a little bit of the, the nutrition aspect. So what's kind of what's your personal nutrition look like? And is that the same thing that you 
you preach to your your athletes as well? Uh, every, again, everything's individualized. Uh, my personal nutrition right now, I'm trying to cut. I'm trying to lose about five pounds and, and have a six pack. I'm not in the military anymore. I don't have to run. I just have to look good on the beach. Um, and that's honestly really all I care about right now. Are there beaches in Canada? <laughs> there is here in Victoria. <laughs> the only one in Canada. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. Lucky, um, you. lucky me, exactly. But yeah, so my nutrition right now is is completely different than than what my uh, nutrition recommendation would be for you know this other guy I'm working for that's three months out from SFAS um, from Special Forces Assessment and Selection. Right. You know, mine might be geez, 185 grams of protein, uh, 180 grams of carbs, and you know, 90 grams of fat. And his is 110 grams of fat. 430 grams of carbs and 185 grams of protein. So as kind of, we have a lot of people in the military and veterans listen to the show and I've read some of your articles about it's, you know, why do you think it's so much easier on the outside or when you're training to kind of get the, the nutrition you need and the tools you need to perform for mobility for nutrition whatever it may be than it is when you're in the actual military you know because it seems like with all the tools at their disposal it's it's way behind um and we've heard you know uh, dr kirk parsley talk a lot about this i know he he does a lot on the sleep side with uh, veterans and special forces but it just seems like it's uh yeah mres aren't the most nutritious thing out there it's so far behind Yep, definitely. I've had a I've had a few conversations with Kirk. Um, great guy too. Great information that he's putting out around around sleep. Um, yeah, I think the military is behind. We I worked with. This is a, a a perfect story to illustrate just how far behind they are. And and I think you know they're coming slowly. And and I I, I hate to to point fingers, but I I also really like to highlight um, some issues that can be easily fixed. Um, because they are easily fixable. There's not a, this isn't, it's not rocket science. It's not overly difficult to change what you're putting out on, on uh, soldiers and on soldiers plates in the meal hall. So we worked with uh, the Canadian forces clearance divers course a, a couple of years back. And I did their, their programming remotely for them for a year. Uh, they had, so we, we kind of hit this with a two pronged approach. One, we did the program design and the goal was to get them, sub 14 minute one kilometer swim with fins so they have you basically get on the plaque um you basically get an award if you get under 14 minutes while you're on course there's about 25 guys every you know two years and about one person gets on it every two years so about four percent get on the plaque they get under 14 minutes and our goal was to get everybody under 14 minutes we were able to do seven guys under 14 minutes five under 14 and a half and, and one guy broke the record at, I think, 12.52. Wow. On top of the program, on the other side was the nutrition piece. I had um, a good friend of mine, James Butler, who was still in the clearance divers at the time, and he started doing a lot of work with um, with the kitchen there on the base and with the, uh, the fitness coordinators on the base. And instead of getting the traditional box lunch with, 
you know, juice box and cookies and Nutri-Grain bars and, you know, and I just junk, just a lot of sugar. They were able to start getting eggs and walnuts and broccoli and actual fuel that was going to support them in their goals. And the interesting thing is that initially when he, he went to the, you know, um, went to make these changes, it, it wasn't really well received. They kind of said, hey, um, I mean, calories are calories. I mean, we can just give them a bag of sugar, you know, who can, and this is actually from, you know, the guy in charge of these kind of decisions, like, you know, calories are calories. And so it took a lot of work. And, and at the end of the day, it, it wasn't about what the food is. There's a certain monetary allotment for each person on each course. And, uh, you know, it was just a matter of changing what was on the order. And yet, you know, we continue to see the military make this other decision where, well, let's do the easy thing. It's been this way for years. No need to change it. Uh, and it's just simply got to change. Do you I know the, uh, the U.S. is going through a whole um, turnaround with that sort of stuff, too. Instead of having the, the sponsored Pizza Hut and Burger King providing you know, half the food, um, they're starting to make some changes there as well. And I think it'll be a huge, a huge leg up for their fitness and and health over time. Do you feel like some of that is, it's unfortunate to say, but do you feel like some of that is motivated? the, The lack of change is motivated by government subsidies. And if they actually started, say, putting out a, you can you can label it whatever you want, but a paleo diet or just whole foods diet, right? If they started putting this out with the total opposite of your refined grains and refined sugars and processed foods, that it would look very contradictory to what the my plate or the food pyramid has been for so long. Yeah, I mean that's another that's a whole other great topic here in Canada. I think they just came out with uh, an, an amazing that we have to have a congressional report to um, say, yeah, our, our food guide is is outdated, um, but we we finally have that as well. So I, I would hope that the changes will come. I think the other issue is that if, yeah, it, it's that. it's If they do this, then they're not in line with the Canada Food Guide. And then if they say the Canada Food Guide isn't what it needs to be, now they need to turn around and actually tell people what they need to be eating. And our planet just can't sustain that. Like we can't, the government can't turn around and provide that. There's just a not, there's not enough agricultural space to do it. I think, I I mean, there's been studies like if you, if you take all the, um, uh, all the land that can be used to to raise crops and you plant the most calorie dense crops in all those locations, you still don't actually have enough calories um, to sustain all the people on the planet. I mean, I don't know how much truth there is to that, but you know, there is a, there is a food shortage. People starve every day, die from starvation, uh, in parts of the world. So I, I think it's kind of a damned if you do damned, if you don't. And then now nobody wants to actually work towards it. They just say, you know what, if I do this, then we have to solve this bigger problem. And I don't want anything to do with that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not the way to go. It just seems like all the resources and all the money that go into companies like the Monsantos of the world, that all that resource could be used to find more sustainable ways of agriculture. Yeah, totally. You know? I think, yep, yep. Yeah, just brings up kind of a crazy fact that I heard a couple months back is that there's more people 
alive on the earth today than has ever lived previously. It's kind of mind-blowing. Yeah, yeah, it's crazy. It's a lot of people. Crazy. Wes, staying on the nutrition side, is it is it shunned? Like, let's say that you have a guy gets in a, a, a team or a unit, right? And he was doing your training program, or he, at least he was plugged in and educated, right? And uh, on nutrition and, and his recovery, and he goes in there and he takes his greens powder and his joint supplement and his fish oil, mm-hmm. and it, is he looked at like kind of a weakling, or or the other? They're like, are the guys too good for that almost mentality? Um, and, yeah, and then again, def- what, what is allowed for you to bring, like, if you've been using things in your, your regimen, um, before getting in, what is allowed for you to kind of maintain? Uh, and are we talking like once guys are in, in these units? Yes. Yeah. So, so let's say that you had a whole supplement regimen uh, during your training to get in and then you get in and you kind of want to still keep using those things. Um, are you kind of shunned for wanting to use those things or are you even allowed? Yeah. So I, I think, uh, one, I, I don't think people need nearly as, as many supplements um, as they take. I, I mean, half the time when guys come to me, one of the first things I do is tell them to stop taking some of the supplements they're taking because it's a complete waste of money. Um, you know, I think things like a protein powder and a, a post-workout carbohydrate and maybe creatine and vitamin D and some, you know, well-studied um, proven supplements have their place. But for the most part, you know, there's not a huge need over and above the the whole foods or some very specific things for a specific issue for a specific person and their specific goals. Um, but I do think there is a little bit of a culture. Like we would, we would rather fitness shame somebody than fat shame them <laughs> these days. Like we'd rather kind of point out, and I've had, I've been, I've had this experience where, and you know, this just brings up another a point about nutrition in, in the, in the, in the military. I'll go up for breakfast and say, Hey, I'd like five eggs. Like I need, some protein. I need, I'd like five eggs, please. I can get two eggs and then I can go order, you know, go take out, sit down and then come back around, get two more and then go take it out and come back up and get another one each time waiting in line. But I can go out to the, to the rest of the cafeteria where it's self-serve and I can take 10 cookies, three pieces of cake and a glass of chocolate milk and a Coke. And then go comatose on your cot. <laughs> you know, and, you know, and so I'll, I'll ask for five eggs and I'll get the, oh, oh five eggs again, eh? five <laughs> eggs. Again. You know, great. That's part of the military culture. It's funny. Like we, we razz each other, but nobody razzed each other because they're being a fatty fat fat and taking six cookies and 10 pieces of cake. Right? I mean, if it's that much, maybe we will. But, um, you know, that's like the cool, like I, I train hard and sleep little and eat like crap and I'm, and I'm still fit. It's almost like, like an unspoken badge of honor and it's unfortunate, but as long as that culture is prevalent, um, it's obvious why changes aren't actually being made. Um, well, that kind of brings up a, a question I have, and, and this is just all hearsay and just rumors me and Josh have heard there's no actual proof or evidence of this. Um, but we've heard that there's, there's been... You know, kind of in the special operations community um, here in the U.S., that you know, some guys just to keep up with the demands of training, and then once they get into their jobs, you know, we've heard that the actual job itself, especially, we just know a lot more about you know, SEAL training and, and SEALs just because it's been widely publicized, and we kind of dove into that. But that actually being a SEAL was harder than anything they ever went through in buds, and so because of these physical demands and kind of you know the alpha male mentality. 
that there's been some some steroid use now uh is there and you don't have to divulge anything but i mean did um have you ever come across that i mean is that is there any truth whatsoever to that statement um well first thing steroids is a really broadly used term right i'm not an expert expert on on steroid usage um or other you know on doping or, or any of the other methods out there um And I, I just think it's a it's a it's a bigger conversation. You know, somebody says, "Oh, he did steroids," and mm-hmm. well, I mean, steroids aren't gonna, you know, necessarily do what you think they're gonna do, and and people respond to them differently. I mean, right? You know, some people take steroids and they put on thirty pounds. Some people take on steroids and they put on five pounds. It, do you actually want to put on muscle mass if if what you want to do is put on muscle mass and you're taking a round of uh, of testosterone or, or GH of growth hormone? Okay, maybe that's gonna happen. Or do you want to, you know, improve your aerobic ability? Do you actually need to be doping? Um, mm-hmm. I think mostly for guys, like to be honest, I mean, if they're taking, you know, quote quote steroids, um, they're doing it because they want to be jacked and big, <laughs> and they right. want to look good in their cutoff t-shirts um, with their beards, and you know, get tanned and do some bench press. Right. Honestly. Um, Nobody's sitting back and thinking, okay, these are the demands of the combat environment. Mm-hmm. Here are the energy systems I need to be training. Here are the, you know, the different lifts I need to do to be structurally balanced and be proficient at my job. And okay, so oh, and now I've reached my, you know, my potential with like good sleep and nutrition and programming. Okay, now I'm gonna like supplement this with, you know, some maybe some illicit drugs um, so that I can just perform as best as possible. And, I mean, my opinion on that, like, I don't really care. Right. Um, if you, if you want to just be the best damn soldier you can be, there's no, you know, there's no cheating, right? At the end of the day, the person who wins is the person that doesn't die. Um, and so cheat all you want in that sport. Um, I don't agree with that. I think long-term it's really demanding mm-hmm. in, in that community. Um, and, and I think guys do get worn down. I don't think any four to six week block as a special force operator as a Navy SEAL is as demanding as like buds. I mean, you just would never, you wouldn't be able to go that long yeah. um, doing that. So I, I think that's a little bit of an exaggeration. Um, but I mean, yeah, guy, guys do it. I, you know, it's not really spoken about. And I mean, I don't really think anybody cares all that much, mm-hmm. um, but it happens for sure. Well, similar to the lack of, um, uh I guess efficient like dietary protocols in the military is something else I read when just prepping for the show was your viewpoint on the lack of movement that is taught um, to people in the military as well. And specifically like the squat pattern. Um, This could even, you know, similar to like great cook stuff with FMS or things you hear Starrett talk about um, with mobility wad and it overlays with, with the CrossFit for the masses type program right and it's that lack of movement is everywhere not just in the squat but in other movements as well and why is that something that isn't taught in the military takes too much time so you know i think it's a it's a perceived um, fiscal restraint, right? There's just, you know, there's not enough money. This is the system we have. 
you know, if we try and teach all this other stuff, we just don't have enough time and, and money. And I mean, in some respects, okay, I get it. Like at the end of the day, um, each soldier is a tool in a bigger machine and it is a, it's very much a mission first uh, mentality. It has to be, it's, you know, at the end of at the tip of that spear is a life or death situation. And as long as they're effective there, I mean, we're not trying to make perfect super athletes. Um, but that goes back to, um, I think that just goes back to not being creative enough as to the resources that are out there and, and what can be done with technology and, you know, online education and, um, and all that. And, and the military cogs move very slowly, you know, so there is things that can be changed. Things are in the works, but then it has to go through politics and bureaucracy. And, and then by the time you get your end product, it has, you know, it's outdated and, and doesn't look anything like what the initial intent was. And I mean, somewhere it has to fall in the individual too. Like, I mean, it, it's much sexier to go in there and start back squatting day one in a CrossFit gym or at, at Gold's than it is to go in and work on your squat movement. I mean, you know, understandably yep. so. But at some point, um, I think it would be on the individual to even just research. Or I mean, there's a lot of online stuff to, to figure yeah, out there's proper just, movement. There's also so much junk out there, you know, and, and I totally agree. I, I, you know, I look at myself, I spent the first four years in the military just kind of doing my own thing and researching and it didn't really get me very far for the amount of work I put in you know I, I did the best I could I, I researched when I had time but I, I couldn't paint the full picture and you know turn around I get a coach all of a sudden my results are three times the speed they used to be I feel better I'm a heck of a lot stronger I'm faster I'm well-rounded um, you know so yeah part of it's on the individual but you know, if that if that's the solution for everything, then the individual has quite a hefty amount of responsibility and workload on top of everything else they have to do, you know, for their job, their family, etc. So I think the military, um, you know, why have every individual, why have every individual out there take it on themselves when the organization as a whole can create a better culture around it that supports that, you know, like, efficient right right so i know that you spoke about on the coaching side you you work with a lot with the the sf guys and, and who are prepping for that as well some crossfit athletes but um i'm sure you also work with your average joes you could say the people that are in the business world or yep. um, just working i mean what is what does that look like different than a guy that's that's seeking you out to get ready for school yeah, I mean, the initial process is similar. You know, we still have the strategy session. We still uh, um, we still do some initial testing, and uh, and then and then the program is just a little bit different for them based on that, right? If their if their goal is, man, I really respect your mindset and your level of fitness, and and I'd like you to get me in. You know, I'd like better energy and have good body composition and and good libido and lift more in the gym and just feel good in my clothes. Well, I'm not gonna have them do any rucksacking. Maybe they're not doing any swimming. Uh, they might not even be doing any running. Now they're just doing some sort of, you know, maybe a bodybuilding type program um, with the supporting nutrition and, and it looks completely different. So it's really just starting. What's the goal? Where are you starting? Where do you want to go? And then we just fill in the gap with what makes sense. And do you still have them record some of their workouts for you? Oh yeah. 
Okay. Yeah, definitely. Is that every workout or is that kind of the initial no, testing no, or no? No. Okay. And it, you know, initial testing for sure that two weeks, they're videotaping everything, which is really quite easy with technology these days. It does not take very long at all. Um, you know, maybe an extra minute, they take a video, swipe it into their Google drive app, uh, on their cell phone done. And, uh, and then we take a look at it and then, you know, ongoing, every time we redo a test, we'll take a, you know, we'll take a quick video or we're doing something new or, you know, sometimes they just want to take a video and say, Hey, how, how's this? Like, this is how I feel. This is what it looks like. What do you think? Cool. Well, me and Josh both adhere to some personal routines of our own, both morning and, and evening. Sometimes that it basically just consists of some meditation, some PMR, you know, journaling, light exercise. And, um, uh, we always just love hearing from successful people. Basically, what are, what are some of your personal routines that you stick to? Oh man, it sounds like, uh, uh, it sounds like you've read the miracle morning. The miracle morning. Yeah. Have you read it? I have, but I've, I've skimmed over it. Hal Elrod. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good book. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I I mean, I teach something similar in my, um, uh, my warrior morning program, my six face snooze button solution course. (laughs) And, uh, it's having, uh, uh, it's, yeah, it's having a a morning routine, you know, that first hour of your day, Mm -hmm. you know, wake up, um, you know, brush my teeth, splash the water in my face, get dressed, you know, go downstairs. I, I do a little bit of, uh, do a little bit of meditation. I do a little scribing. Great time to to get some creativity going in the morning when you know cortisol's high. You know, no food in my gut yet. You know, blood's all up in the brain still. Right. And um, uh, I do a little bit of exercise. I might do a little bit of flow work um, uh, for five, ten, maybe fifteen minutes, um, or go for a walk, get some sunshine, and then have some breakfast and get started with my day. But I try and I try and be you know, and some reading, you know, it's a great time to do a little bit of study, um, read a few pages out of whatever I'm working on, um, which kind of leads me into, you know, my messaging on social media for that day. And, uh, yeah, but I think that hour in the morning is really important. If you can, if you can make that consistent, uh, if you can get up out of bed right away, instead of hitting the snooze button, um, one, it makes that first hour 10 times more productive. And then that hour sets you up for a day that's much, much more productive as well. And could you repeat that, that online course? We'd like to, I mean, we can go back and get it, but I'd love to put that in the show notes for everybody as well. Yeah, sure. It's a uh, warrior morning program, uh, the six phase snooze button solution. And I'll, uh, I'll give you guys a link to the, the, uh, the private Facebook group. So there's a free Facebook group and then, and, and I, and I give out some information in there over time. Uh, and then there's an option to sign up for our, our full blown course as well. Oh, great. And that, that's for people that, you know, they want to be a morning person or they want to hop out of bed and have a little more productivity, find a morning routine, but they just, they, they either in a rut, continue to fail or just don't know how. You got it. Awesome. Yeah, that's great. We're all about that. I think any tools you can give people to, to kind of carve out that time and and get in a routine where it's, it's almost on autopilot in the morning, you know, it's just, uh, it's default is, uh, yeah. And sleep, sleep's huge. Sleep's huge. I mean, it, it sets up, you know, Kirk Parsley talks about this a lot. You know, when you're, you're sleep deprived, you're going to crave more sugar. Um, you, you know, you're going to be tired. You're not going to have the energy. And, you know, now you're craving sugar and your, your insulin spiking, your energy is going up and down and makes it really, really tough to, uh, to be consistent with your nutrition and, and training. But you can start with good quality sleep, um, really set yourself up for success for the other two pieces. 
And then do you have an evening routine as well? Kind of calm, you know, wind down your day, kind of get prepared for bed? Yeah. Yeah. The, I mean, the program's broken up into six phases. Uh, the first one is just some pre-work and theory. Uh, the second one's actually light hygiene. Um, uh, the third one is a pre-bedtime routine. So, so kind of stimulating the, the parasympathetic nervous system, calming down. Um, the goal there being that people hit their head on the pillow and they're out in five to 10 minutes versus 30, 60, 90 minutes, two hours sometimes. Oh, that's great. And is, is any of that included? So let's say someone wants to come to you for personal training, right? They're, they're not an SF guy. Um, they just want personal training, nutrition, and kind of all around lifestyle coaching. Is there an option for kind of an all-in-one package? Yeah, you know, we do the, um, you know, for the one-on-one coaching, they also get access to that program. Um, um, they can get access to our nutrition program, our mindset program. Um, and, you know, if, if they're not ready for one-on-one yet and, and just not ready to make that kind of investment in themselves, uh, we have a membership site as well, and they get access to those programs as well. Um, oh, so rather rather than the one-on-one coaching, they get some, you know, they, they get to choose from a variety of pre-made programs. They still get access to our, our Facebook group. Um, they get access to weekly group calls with me. So there's there's different options based on, you know, what people, um, you know, what kind of commitment people want to make and what kind of results they want to get. But nice and i know you mentioned the the miracle morning which i'll have to pick up a copy of that or just borrow josh's since he hasn't touched it but um i've what, touched it i read it i highlighted uh, in it yeah. there you go <laughs> what are what are some other books that you find yourself recommending the most oh wow let me i got a good answer for that one yeah okay. so top 10 reading list sure maximize your memory uh, the sports gene by david epstein really good uh becoming a supple leopard Body Flow, Freedom from Fear Reactivity, In Pursuit of Excellence, uh, which is a whole whole book on, um, um, you know, mindset techniques from visualization to distraction control. Um, the Obstacle is the Way, Choke, Turning Pro, Training at the Speed of Life, and Spec Ops, Case Studies in Special Operations, Warfare, Theory, and Practice. Sounds like a pretty solid list. Yeah, no kidding. So you've well, heard of a few of them, but you're a pretty proficient reader, then, huh? I try. Yeah. I, I think I realized about four years after high school that I hadn't read any books, and uh, <laughs> then it then it just ramped up from there. Is there a West Kennedy book coming out soon? There is. Yeah, we're nice. um, we're looking to have the first draft complete here in uh, in August. We're um, we're well through it at this point. And uh, that's going to be on, on basically on, on Getty guys as prepared as possible um, for selection. I'm going to cover a whole bunch of stuff in there on, you know, building the ultimate tactical athlete, you know, what, what a program might look like, uh, nutrition, um, you know, sleep, foot care, how to pack a ruck. Um, a lot of the mistakes I see guys making that are easily avoided and, and, you know, just all my thoughts, basically, that I've developed over the past 10 years uh, on what I think guys should be doing in their training to prepare. So hopefully uh, that would be out later next year. Cool. And we'll have a uh, we'll have a we'll have a landing page for that. I'll send you guys the link in uh, in a couple of weeks, but we'll have a landing page for that where people can go and get on the uh, the early order list. 
Yeah, definitely keep us up to date on that because we'd love to do a, we can even do a, you know, an article about it for sure. Yeah. To our website. That'd be, so that'd be awesome. Um, kind of staying on your, like your personal routine. What is, what does your day of work look like? Do you, you chunk it up into really focused, you know, short amounts of effort or you kind of grind it out? Um, you know, pick it well, up. Well, up it until down. recently it was grinded out and double book myself, uh, seven days a week. Oh my um, I, I've recently been able to get away from that and have a much, much nicer, um, uh, routine now. So I, you know, I wake up seven o'clock, uh, have my, you know, my miracle morning routine for that first hour. Uh, I do a couple hours of, of marketing and sales. So that's either, you know, messaging, replying to, to, to messages on Facebook, to emails, um, you know, putting my message out there on various social media, following up with, with strategy session application calls. I'll do uh, I'll do an hour hour and a half of, of program design for clients, um, and I've got an hour or so where you know I can fill it in with whatever. Go to the gym, um, do a couple new client intake calls, some strategy sessions in the afternoon, and uh, and another hour or two of client programming, and then uh, and then call it an evening. Um, so you know it's it's great. I'm doing what I love. I get to work with some really cool people, and. Uh, you know, and we're only growing and we're only putting out more and, and better and uh, more comprehensive content to help to help the guys uh, prepare. So it's it's exciting. I'm really looking forward to this coming year. When do you tackle your writing? Because I know you do a lot of writing for SofRep and uh, you do, you know, T Nation articles and, and some other outlets. Um, is that kind of a morning thing or do you have a specific like writing time uh, of the day or week? Uh, a little bit of, you know, a little bit of my scribing um, would be would be part of that. And then, um, you know, just stuffing it in where, where inspiration arises and where I've got some time. Cool. So you just kind of leave that open, open-ended. Yeah. I, I find, uh, I don't really like sitting down and, and, and writing, uh, you know, being forced, Hey, I got to write an article now. Um, I, I spend a lot of time listening and when I get a question that I haven't heard before, or I see a question come up a lot, um, that I, you know, that I've yet to answer with either a video or, or a nice in-depth article, then, you know, that'll go on our list and, and, uh, and I'll get working at putting something out for that specifically. It's a good policy. Yeah. I like it. Well, Wes, where can people uh, follow you? Find more out of, find more about, Oh wow. I'm messing that up. That. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> where, where can people follow you and, and find more about, Wow, Josh, just do it. <laughs> Let me clear Don't my... edit this yeah. out. Yeah, yeah right. <laughs> we'll put this at the very beginning. Um, Find out I more about just, you. Ask, you I can ask myself if you like. <laughs> Third person. Um, Where can people follow you and find out more about you, Wes? Nailed Bam. it. Uh, EliteTrainingPrograms.com uh, would be the best place to go. Lots of, lots of free info on there. Um, check out elitetrainingprograms.com slash spec ops videos for our three phases to becoming the ultimate special ops athlete. Uh, they can follow us on facebook.com slash elite training programs. And, uh, and, you know, they can just search for me on, uh, on Facebook as well. I get a lot of people that follow me or, or friend me on there and, and have some, some good conversations. And uh, Instagram would be another good spot too at either west-ken or ETP coach. Awesome. Great. Just for kind of my own curiosity, are your assessments and, and the tests that you put people through available to the public or you got to 
Is that a program, you know, that we have to sign up for? Say that again. So the the testing that you put people through, like the initial assessment yep. and the, the physical tests, is that something that you know people would be available that would be made available to the public, or is that once you're enrolled in your program? Yeah, that's once they're enrolled in the program. Okay, yep. I got you. So Wes, what's um, Jake and I earlier saw one of your workouts that you recommended for testing, which was uh, I think we might tackle it later today or some point this week. Um, the the five rounds, three hundred fifty meter row. 12 mm. burpee pull-ups, eight wall walks. Um, there may be some people out there that can't do the wall walks, but what's kind of a good workout people could do to test themselves, um, you know, once this show's released? Um, actually, one sec. I got a good one. So, you know, exactly like you said there, some people um, can't do the wall walks. And so that's a test I really like to have. Um tactical athletes go through if they can't do it we've got one that's a little bit different uh where is it here i'd imagine everything in there's a strict pull-up too correct uh yeah i mean it's a kind of a jumping pull-up so if okay. they jump up and they can they can pull as they go yeah, so I'll do another one. I, I don't have uh, I don't have it right in front of me now. It's essentially uh, it's similar to that. It's 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 I might be a little bit off in my numbers here, but five rounds for time, uh, three hundred and fifty meter row, um, twelve hand release push ups, and uh, and twenty five squats. There you go, folks. <laughs> aim aim for under twelve minutes or or bust. <laughs> You're just not tactical yet. Yeah. Nice. Well, cool. Well, Wes, it's been great having you on the show. And uh, we will definitely point people your direction, list everything that we talked about in the show notes, as well as your resources, where people can find the online coaching. And uh, we'll obviously keep them updated on the book. Yeah. Thanks, Jake. Thanks, Josh. It's been a pleasure. Yeah, it's been awesome. We'll do it again. All right. Uh, Thanks, Wes. Cheers, guys. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Two Fit Podcast. This episode is brought to you by Two Fit USA, the sports nutrition company owned and operated by the Two Fit Guys. To show our appreciation for you tuning into the podcast, we would like to give you a 10% off your entire order at TwoFitUSA.com. All of our products are sugar-free, paleo-friendly, gluten-free, non-GMO, and a whole list of other buzzwords. So hop on over to TwoFitUSA.com. Don't forget to use your promo code FIT1, that's F-I-T-1, at checkout. We highly value and appreciate your feedback, so please leave a review about the products and the podcast at our website, TwoFitUSA.com, under the podcast and products pages. You can also leave a review on iTunes. Now, if we happen to read your review during one of our podcasts, you'll receive a one-month free subscription of all TwoFit products. So write something noteworthy. If not, we probably won't read it anyway. So go leave a review, listen to the next episode, and till next time.